0: Hour number two of Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. If you happen to miss hour number one of the show, discussed Rick Tockett's comments after the blowout in Seattle, Canucks' first ever loss to the Seattle Kraken, Really calling out a lot of members of his roster after his first loss as head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Brad Larson, head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, joined us. They're in town tomorrow night to play the Canucks at Rogers Arena, and we also talked about the big news of the day: Andre Kuzmenko getting a extension, two years at five and a half million per. Mm. Uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, let's uh, bring in our next guest that is Harman Dial of the Athletic covering the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks for this Harm uh quick thought on uh, Andre Kuzmenko and uh his new two-year deal with the Canucks.
1: Yeah, first of all, I mean, great for Kuzmenko and overall it's uh it's a feel good story just in the uh in the midst of the season that the team's had for him to kind of hit the ground running and be a constant sort of joy, a source of joy and, and and happiness and his personality, the way that he's resonated in this market. It's um, it's been awesome at the same time, when I take a, a more pragmatic look at what would have been best for the team in that situation. I mean, look, I think the contract's pretty good considering um, the year that he's had the potential you kept the term down at two years. The cap hit at five point five came in under what I was sort of expecting as well. So, it's, so it's a good contract. I just don't know if the team is in a position to actually take advantage of it. The the biggest question that I've sort of had in my mind is what are the what are the Canucks going to be able to achieve over the next two years in through this bridge deal that would exceed the value of what he would fetch as a premium rental if you monetized, if you had monetized him as a rental um, at the uh, at the trade deadline because of his unique property with the fact that still on his ELC he would have basically been been the sort of unique piece that any contender would have been able to add. Uh, so many teams are pressed up against the cap right now. Um, eight well, there are only eight teams last I checked earlier today on Cap Friendly that have two million dollars or more in cap space. So there are a lot of contenders that can't afford the big-ticket rentals like a Tarasenko or a Meyer or a Patrick Kane, who you look at a player like Kuzmenko, 43 points in 47 games, making basically no money, it would have been a really intriguing proposition. So I thought it was a unique opportunity for the Canucks to kind of sell high in a situation like that, Um, especially because of the opportunity cost of that cap space, right? Because it isn't just what you could have netted um, at the deadline, and maybe you could have landed another first round pick. It's once you've got that five and a half million dollars in cap space, then you've got options in terms of do we want to start addressing some of our needs at center if we move Bo Horvat? Do we want to overhaul the blue line? Because doing that, uh, doing you know, accomplishing that now is going to be difficult. When I was again looking at cap friendly, Canucks only have around nine million in cap space to, to uh, address all those prior- priorities that those. Positions that are really tough to kind of find upgrades on, um, not to mention the other route. If you had taken a longer view and, um, and, and tried to weaponize your cap, cap space for the future, the Canadiens actually provided a pretty strong template for that last year when they first moved to Foley in a package that got them a first round pick. And then they used the cap space that they freed up with that to Foley trade to then in the offseason go and acquire another first round pick. From Calgary for taking on the last year of Sean Monaghan's contract. It's it's that sort of creativity and flexibility that the Canucks now don't have, now that they've committed uh, to another winger in Kuzmenko. So it's kind of an odd dynamic where I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going on face value. It's a good contract. It's been a fantastic story. Um, he's been such a positive influence in the dressing room. But at the same time, I just don't think that a, a, that a 27, soon-to-be 27-year-old UFA um, that resetting him was you know the best fit relative to um, what he could have netted you as a trade ship.
2: Well, what is very clear is that they believe that not only is Kuzmenko a player they like, but also a player they believe is going to be part of this long term. And even Milstein joking today or saying, we'll talk an extension next off season because you can do that then as well. So it, it seems to me that they really believe in this player being part of it. And to your point, where is a cap space going to come from? We've seen how hard it has been for them to clear other players out. In a world where this makes sense do you essentially have to find a way to get Besser and
1: Garland off the books this off season? hundred percent. There's no other sort of way to, to kind of justify it because you're like, where else is the money going to come from uh, kind of thing. And obviously you're hoping also that um, whether it's at the deadline or more reali- more realistically, maybe in the summer, you're also able to get rid of a contract or like Tyler Myers is. but um, really the Canucks have a lot of money tied up on the, tied up on the wings now, especially if, Uh, it's also going to be telling over the balance of the season now that Rick Tockett has come in and you're going to get to see him implement a system, new environment, new sort of level of accountability to see how exactly JT Miller fits in terms of, is he a center or is he a winger? Because that's a concern too, where um, this season we we've seen that he hasn't been able to stick down the middle. If he isn't able to really um, mesh at center in this new environment, then that's a sort of change of plans too, where when management originally signed signed uh, Miller, I'm sure they would have thought about him as a potential center option. And, and again, now you're looking at more money tied up on the wings. Um, of course, they went out and signed McCabe as well. So absolutely, I think one of Garland or, or Besser, ideally both, um, has to sort of uh, give in order for the club to be able to address their, uh, their needs at center and um, and on the back end. Because right now, when I look at the blue line, for example, they've got only one legit top four D in Quinn Hughes, especially because of uh, how significantly OEL and Myers have progressed this season. Uh, you're not going to win in the league with, uh, with a back end like that. And Rutherford's acknowledged that they can't really start to chip away at some of these other needs until they carve out that flexibility. Um, the problem that I just see is, if they weren't able to carve it out last off season um, I'm not sure how much confidence I have that they're going to be able to um, add, you know, a ton of cap flexibility and be able to check off all their needs this summer. But absolutely like those, those two guys are now, I mean, they all, they already have kind of been prime trade targets, but um, they've, they've really got to go.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's becoming ever more apparent, right? That, that, it's just not going to work um, cap wise with all these players, all these numbers that are already committed to this roster. But on Kuzmenko, you know, there seems to be like, there's always that sentiment. Uh, oh, look at his shooting percentage. That's not sustainable. And while that's somewhat fair, like, yes, like regression is is going to be a real thing there. Like how, how much of his success though uh, is, is for real, you know, like what, regression is fair to say but like how much regression would we be talking about with a player like Kuzmenko who has looked fantastic
1: yeah it's really interesting and unique especially as long as he continues playing with Elias Petterson because Petterson's sort of player who we've seen in the past can drive a line that typically can finish chances at an elite shooting percentage um, that's one of his um, one of his superpowers, Pedersen's. and Kozmenko clearly seems to have um, the skill set to where he can adapt to that time and space Peterson's able to create. and that's why uh, a lot of a lot of his goals are just kind of tappings, and that's why uh, a big part of the reason why he has a high shooting percentage now. Um, I don't expect him to necessarily be the seventy five point um, player moving forward like he is uh, like he's pacing for right now. But I think he's absolutely legit as as a top six scorer. And now that he has now that he's at a five and a half million million dollar cap, it um, you've baked in a certain level of breathing room in terms of even if there is a bit of a step down in the production. And let's say, you know, hypothetically he's whatever, like a sixty point guy moving forward. I, I still think that that's enough offense to justify. Uh, his cap hit, and that's why I don't I don't worry about the contract itself, right? Because even with uh, even with the term remaining, even in a worst case scenario, um, let's say he do- he doesn't pan out and this was just a fluke, which I don't think it is. Even then, it's like you'd only have one year after next one. Um, you, this isn't like a poisonous sort of contract um, where you're taking on a ton of downside risk. So for me, with Kuzmenko, I think he's legit. I think he's absolutely a top six top six guy, he's got enough um, skill and creativity and dynamic tools to where I even see versatility and um, the different roles that he could play on a first-unit power play. Um, and, and so for that reason, uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about a regression, even though uh, a significant regression, even though um, he probably won't be a 75, 80-point scorer moving forward. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and you know the other thing that I kind of wonder about, because watching these guys play this year, watching Garland play, watching Brock Besser play, and watching uh, Andre Kuzmenko, I see I see so much more. I see better traits from Andre Kuzmenko in terms of how he can attack the game, create space for himself, and how good he is around the net. And we don't see his shot as well. Of course, the way Besser shoots as well, we haven't seen Besser shoot it, but. We haven't seen him really be that one-shot scorer in terms of from distance, even though he seems to have some of that capability. But he's really good around the net. He's he's really good at playing off Elias Patterson. And there's so many things that he's kind of coming along in a positive way. I feel like he is, you know, a jump above players like Besser and Garland. How big do you think that gap is, though, between the talents those three players have?
1: I think it is significant, especially because in Besser's case, he just, like, I've got to be honest. Even outside of just the scoring, it's been it's been really surprising to see the regression of his defensive game, his um, his lack of ability to win board battles, um, a lot of the defensive lapses we saw earlier in the season. So, with Besser's la- like the fact that he's now not contributing in those other areas, um, plus the fact that he doesn't have a skating. To really create the, the the time and space necessary to get a lot of shots off and beat goalies from distance, uh, he's become he's become sort of a one dimensional uh, player. And in Garland's case, we know that he can bring a lot to the table at five and five, and expect that we're going to see his production start to rise again now that um, now that we're talking in the fold, and um, he'll hopefully get some more confidence from that. But even in Garland's case, I don't think that two things with Garland. Number one, despite how crafty and creative he is, I think he ends up being stuck on the perimeter a little bit too much. I don't think that's necessarily because of a lack of compete level or anything, because he's definitely shown a willingness to get his nose dirty and um, be someone who wants to work in and and around the net. I just don't think he's like, for whatever reason, he's not able to find those open pockets of space the way Kuzimenko is. And, Simply put, I don't think Garland and Pedersen have that same level of chemistry. Uh, We saw that they've barely played uh, Garland and Pedersen; they barely really played together this year. Um, I think that speaks volumes, and that fit that Kuzmenko's found with Pedersen is unique. Where um, it's not necessarily that Kuzmenko's winning a lot of physical battles to find that open ice around the blue paint, but um, it's little moves like uh, when he scored against uh, against Chicago, the the goal earliest, Pedersen kind of stopped up. Um, and, and made a great pass. Kuzmenko looked like he was going for the uh, going for the back door first, in, first in terms of an outside route. Um, and the Chicago defender thought that he had Kuzmenko covered, and then Kuzmenko just explosively darted darted to the inside. Like those are the little moves that I don't see a lot of these other forwards making consistently enough to find that uh, that open ice on the inside. I know that's something that Besser's been able to do. Um, in the past, but he just hasn't looked the same this year, and, um, and, and with Garland, to the other point I wanted to bring up, is he's not uh, a really uh, much of a power play contributor. That's where Kuzmenko, whether it's been on the first unit, or even even when he's um, gotten spurts on the flank of the second unit, that's where he can still be a significant difference maker, so uh, I do think that Kuzmenko is uh, is a notable step up on, uh, on Garland and, and Besser.
0: When it comes to JT playing through the middle, you know, it's pretty obvious they're they're going to have to see how this plays out over the rest of the year and he's probably going to have to play center um especially if and when Horvat gets moved ahead of the deadline here um what did he do well last year that he's not doing this year because you know a lot of his success last season did come while he was playing through the middle of the ice you know that miller pearson Besser line was was really strong last year. Even when they had Garland, like Miller and Pearson were actually a really strong duo together last season. Both players never really got off to a great start this year. We haven't seen Miller find his game at at center. To me, at times harm, and it's felt as though this is going to sound weird to some people, but JT is. Overly focused on being in the right spot defensively, that it's completely taken away his offensive game when he's played center this year.
1: This is an interesting theory. I think um, I think you, you kind of sort of. You could just say no, you I disagree. What, it's fine. It's, no, I, I, I won't mean, be offended. <laughs> like I agree with what you said in that the <laughs> offense is the big difference. I don't necessarily know if it's the the, the positional aspect. Uh, to be quite honest, you could be right. That's why I'm not like saying oh you're wrong um I just I don't know exactly why but you're right that he hasn't delivered the same level of offense because at 5-on-5 last season he led the team in uh, in points which is a huge difference compared to where he is uh this season and I think part of it was when he was deliver- delivering an elite amount of offense at 5-on-5 it's like you, okay you can live with the occasional turnover you can live with the occasional um, back check that he misses or or whatever. Whereas this season it's been it's the fact that the five on five offense is kind of completely um, dried up as well. And and obviously there's been circumstances that haven't worked in his favor, right? Where Pearson and Besser, for example, were both quality drivers last season, and yet so like that's that's the matchup sort of go to line that Boudreau started with to to go with this season. And it wasn't just Miller, but Pearson and Besser. Look significantly worse um, compared to last season. And those guys were pivotal in in helping that line control play and helping win a lot of the board battles and uh, and forecheck effectively so Miller wouldn't have to do a lot of that work without the puck. So I do think there's been an element of he hasn't had um, enough support from a two-way perspective from his wingers either. Um, He's obviously also moved up um, you know he is right also in bringing up that hey I've kind of been in a tough spot where I'm shifting between center and wing haven't had consistent line mates um, so it has been tough for him to to find consistency in his game find reliable wingers that can help him um, with some of the two-way warts that uh, that he has um, it is going to be interesting with uh, with the with, with talking coming in and sort of saying that he wants to maybe taper, and, and cut down some of the minutes Miller's played. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if that can hopefully help Miller find his uh, game a little bit, because we saw even against Seattle um, the other uh, last night, 1630, that's a season low for Miller in, uh, in ice time. And if he's going to be playing a physically demanding position like center and you're relying on him to sort of handle a lot of those two way responsibilities, I don't mind if you actually cut his minutes, keep him pressure. Maybe he doesn't kill penalties as often, so that he doesn't maybe pace himself is is what talk it seemed to seem to kind of see and even against um, Chicago I thought that was one of Miller's better games we of course saw him set up Sheldon Dries's goal but even that even then like I didn't see too many plays where Miller was trying to force plays um, feel that he had to sort of put the team on his back and make that home run play. Um, to get the team sort of back in the game or anything. It felt like he picked his spots a lot better. It felt like he was more patient, um, which is one area where I've wondered with this season, for example, when things go against the Canucks, that's when Miller can sometimes double down on feeling like he has to make that home run play and fix, fix uh, whether it's his own mistake or, his, or you know the Canucks are down and they need a goal, this feeling of he's forcing things all of a sudden. And I always felt that, he's looked a lot more comfortable in environments where um, it's overall, you know, it's not a chaotic environment and he, he doesn't have to force things and uh, he's able to pick a spot a little bit better. So I know I went in a lot of different directions um, in, in that answer, but I think he needs to find stability with his landmates, uh, with the system playing less minutes and being given a simpler message. I think of, you don't have to force things all the time. And, and those, that, those puck management errors often, Result in um, some of the, some of the big defensive mistakes we've seen this season. Uh,
2: before we let you go, uh, Harm, I did want to ask you uh, a question about Luke Shen and his game. And I think we we all agree that Luke Shen has played really well this season, and he's brought everything he could humanly ask for and great leader, great presence, the hits, and all that. But his game has seemingly slipped quite a bit the past few weeks, the past couple of months. And, and I know that um, you know he's still most likely to get traded. But what do you make of where his game is at? And do you think it, it could at all affect what the market looks like for
1: him? Yes, that's really good because a uh, really good point to bring up because I was actually kind of thinking about that uh, last night that I have noticed with uh, little things, right? They're not major, but... Things like Shen being able to keep a puck in the offensive zone, or um, situations like um, you know, last game against Seattle, a slap shot off uh, goes off a leg, and all of a sudden it leads to um, a breakaway uh, against um, you know, more turnovers in his own end. The puck management, which usually we've seen more poise from him, um, absolutely. I think we've been we've seen it slip. I just honestly just haven't mentioned it because everyone loves Luke Shen in the city and, and we've had a million other, other things to talk about, but I, I do think it's been noticeable. Uh, the one thing I will say in terms of how it could affect his value moving forward is, I mean, yeah, if, if teams are watching him closely, they are going to notice that, uh, that slip for sure. Because to my eyes, um, as I've been taking notes and I haven't even been looking at looking for Shen spe- specifically, the way a scout would individually be looking at Shen, there has been a noticeable drop off in his play. One thing I will say that's working in the Canucks' favor in terms of his return and why I still believe that he's going to be coveted, really, really coveted commodity is just the idea that I think around the league there's this narrative that you need a really big defense to win in the NHL to go deep in the playoffs, especially because of the way Tampa's uh, defense was built um, when they won their uh, when they won their cups with Hedman, McDonough, Chernak, uh, Bogosian. They had for a while. Um p- pieces like that that play this tough, rugged style, defend well in the front of the net. Um, we 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 even saw um, with uh, with Montreal when they made it to the Stanley Cup final, despite not having uh, the best roster on paper, there was a lot of talk about that uh, that top four with Sherrod and, and Weber and Petrie and, and how big all those guys were. So I still think that narrative um, is stronger on the league. And we see it, right? Like, look at the contract Eric Branson got. Uh, in the offseason four million times four years. Um Ben Schrott going for a first round uh pick uh, at last year's deadline. Um even Pitts, even a team like Pittsburgh, the way that they reoriented their blue line and sort of signed Jan Ruda and uh let go Marino and brought in Petrie, I think a big part of that was because Ron Hextall looked at his back end and went, We don't defend the front of the net very well. So I think the tools that Shen brings with the size and his physicality, the net front defense, the ability to stop a cycle. um, I still think those are are traits that GMs really, really covet to the point where even if his form has slipped a bit recently, I still think he would have a lot of trade value.
0: Harm, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks guys. Uh, There is Harmon Dial of the athletic joining us here on Canucks central. Um, (laughs) The, the Luke Shen return thing um we got to a point where there was some speculation if he could fetch a first round draft choice as a rental this year because of the contract and how well he was playing um I, I, it feels like we're we're settling probably at, at a second round draft choice which is still you know i think yeah. i think more than anybody would have thought shen was going to fetch at any point
2: well i mean it's, it's that it's that first round pick that I was always skeptical about and I know yeah. the Sherrod example. It just didn't I don't know, I just it just seemed like too much, too high. A second, yeah like a second maybe, a third something like that's kind of the range there for, for Luke Shen. You know, like it, it wouldn't shock me if it ends up being a third and you know something else or a prospect or something like, or a a player that the Canucks may like off another roster. Think of a Tyler Mott type of trade, but for a defenseman potentially, you know. And you know, and, and uh, let's not forget when when uh, Canucks traded Thomas Fannick for Tyler Mott, people were apoplectic about the return. Like, at least get a sixth round pick back in return. Why not get a pick instead of getting Tyler Mott? And you know, that that was able to be turned into a fourth round pick at least when he got traded. But I think that's the more realistic thing to look at. The high-end second-round pick, maybe third, a player of that type of ilk that they like and and think can have success
0: in Vancouver. You know, one of the... um, One of the biggest things about this year is how Brock Besser is... like. Not only, as Har mentioned, is the scoring gone from Besser's game, but... You know, we've often talked, like, Brock doesn't get enough credit for having a well-rounded game. You know, he's just looked at as this guy who can score goals because of the way his first season played out. But I've always looked at Brock and said he's really done a good job at rounding out some of the other areas of his game to become a valuable player at both ends of the rink. It's just, it's all disappeared this year. Like, I, I... Sometimes you watch and it's like, what what's happened to this player? Because he doesn't look anything like uh, the Brock Besser that's been really valuable for the Vancouver Canucks in years past.
2: Yeah, and it's very clear that he's not going to be the player that we had envisioned. And right now, we're not quite sure what type of player he is. But one thing that is very clear is that he's not worth $6.65 million. And I think at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing. And if he's not worth 6.65 million here, he's probably not worth 6.65 million elsewhere. So what does that mean in terms of the trade that you're looking to do here with Brock? And that's why ultimately would it, would it shock me if he does, if he's back again next season, hoping that maybe that's the year he, he gets better and increases value. So I can see that being difficult just in terms of the money aspect of it. And I think that creates a big problem because I know I, I keep hearing Besser's name is out there, but I, I don't think it is to just get the money off the books. Like, you have to take something back in return. Like, he, he's not playing at anywhere near a $6.65 million player. Uh, it's Stan Riccio
0: and Satyar Shah. Tomorrow on Canuck Central, Patrick Alvine will join us. Uh, his reputation, as I found out today with a promotional tweet, uh, it, uh, it definitely. <laughs> Uh, It's well known around the market already, uh, Patrick Alvine, how he can be uh, close to the vest with what he says around his club. Uh, Patrick Alvine will join us uh, tomorrow on Canuck Central, plus a mailbag. John Garrett will join us as well. It'll be a busy edition of Canuck Central.